Hi, I'm Emily Salaby, founder of Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company, and your host on the Hazard Girls podcast here on Jacket Media. I'm so honored to host this show where I get to chat with Hazard Girls about their careers. Hazard Girls is an online community for women working in traditionally male-dominated fields. On our show, you'll get to hear from these amazing women about the path that led them to their current careers, challenges they've overcome, advice for other women in entering these industries, and more. Sam Kohlner is the founder of Prime Structured Cabling. Prime provides low voltage and technology solutions for commercial businesses of all sizes. Prime is the only certified woman-owned and led construction company in the trade in Charleston, South Carolina. Sam leads projects in almost every business vertical, medical practices, hotels, new office buildings, distilleries, restaurants, and more. Sam has over six years of experience in her current industry and previously spent 13 years working in retail as a leader who supported developing successful teams and creating highly profitable stores. Outside of professional leadership and a growing business portfolio, Sam spends a lot of time involved in her community giving back. She is on the board of her local chapter of the National Association of Women in Construction, and she serves as the NAWIC membership director. She is passionate about people in every area of her life, especially building the women up around her to feel empowered to follow and achieve their dreams. And all of these things add up to the reason that Sam was selected in 2022 as the Empowering Women in Industry Tradeswoman of the Year. And Juno Jones was actually the sponsor of this award. So I was honored to present the award to you, Sam, and it was an awesome moment. Definitely. Yeah, it was. <laughs> and, I, we have the, and we have the photos to prove it. So we'll have, yes, to, we do. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to post that. So that night after you got your award and it was like a big party and we were chatting and we decided we were going to do this Hazard Girls podcast episode and that was October and now it's July. So I'm so glad that we could finally make that happen. Yes, still uh, less than a year, which in construction is impressive. Oh, 100%. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, well, here we are and I'm so glad you could be here. Now, in your, in your bio that I just was reading, we talk a little bit about how you started actually in retail. And for me, I don't know if it's just me, but I'm very fascinated by retail. I guess I, I also have a background in retail and I love how there's so much that you can gain from that experience that translates into other jobs and other industries. So I would love to know a little bit more about that, but what retailer was it that you worked for? Okay. So we're for a couple and the best start to the story is because I spent so much time working for American Eagle Outfitters. I often say it was referenced like your first long standing time with a company was you were born in the stockroom of, so I was born <laughs> in the stockroom of American Eagle. Um, I was 16. I was hired by my first store manager, Betsy. I've lost t- track of where she is or who, you know, what she's doing these days, but she was just like the super cool now it's kind of crazy looking back because I think I'm the same age she was <laughs> when I met her. And she's like, you should work here. You get a discount. And I remember my first shift, I was terrified. And I was a people person already. And in high school, I was in the middle of all the friend groups. Like I was the girl who floated. I could be friends with anyone. 
but for some reason you put that lanyard on me and the music going and I just like stood at the denim wall and I was <laughs> I didn't know what to do I was just like supposed shy. To yeah I was shy which was for me like if now anyone knowing me now is like you were shy yeah. um and so that's where it started and then over the years I worked there through high school when I graduated high school I became an assistant manager and worked there all through college and so when I graduated fun fact, I have a degree in criminal justice that adds to the obscurity of my background. Okay. I'm a cop's daughter and mm. I had to make the decision of, do I want to go into like law enforcement working for, I grew up in New York state. I could, I lived close to Albany. I went to university of Albany. So I could have gone to a state job, um, working in defense, something like that. And mm. I realized that being client facing every day was what I wanted. I'm like, I like the people. I got to the point where like, they were my friends, my customers, yeah, my coworkers and the energy. If you've ever been into an American Eagle, the music's bumping, it smells good. Everything's cute and fun. So can you imagine being, you know, 18 year old me, it was like then going through college at that point when I graduated 21, 22, I was like, I can't go in a cubicle. I can't work in an office. So I was offered a store manager position. So I was one of the youngest in the East zone I'll never forget my um, Eastern Zone VP, Leanne, always made a point to remind me I was the youngest store manager. Um, so I think what helped me become successful initially was I treated my team that worked with me as my friends in a way, like there was a lot of respect there, but it became like a fun passion for all of us to hit the floor mm -hmm. and like sell and make people feel good about themselves. Mm -hmm. And I realized really quickly that people was my business. Mm -hmm. and it, that's what carried me through. So I'll fast track the long history, but I started to be moved to more high profile, high visibility stores. So then I was moved to a higher volume store in up on the Canadian border, which was a very transient place. So we had a lot of um, people from Montreal coming down, coming to the city, coming back up. So I lived on the Eastern strip of New York state. Um, mm -hmm. It was really high volume and you know, average shift, I had 500 people coming through my doors. So every day, like that was my office was client facing, like just to the public. It was a little wild. If I think back how many mm -hmm. people I saw daily. So then I, the, the fire was lit under me. I'm an achiever. So I started doing good. I was winning awards, making bonus and <laughs> getting attention. We'd go to conferences like down in Florida. And then I got asked to move to Miami and run the store in Aventura Mall, which is super high volume. It's in the top 5% of stores. So I was managing 65 employees, I think. Yeah. Um, that was a rodeo because also there was a bit of a language barrier with most of my clients and employees. So I kind of um, faked it till I made it down there <laughs> a little bit. Um, and I realized then clothing, I think because I was aging out of the brand a little bit. Mm -hmm. I faced like this kind of crux in the road. I'm like, do I stay in retail or do I look for something else? But I wasn't done with the public being my coworker. And so <laughs> uh, when I lived in South Beach, I actually got um, an opportunity to interview with Pottery Barn, which that fit wow. kind of transition in my life. Mm -hmm. I was like trying to build my home with Justin and ended up getting an opportunity in South Beach to co-run that store, which was like, the girl from upstate New York gets to run the South Beach Pottery Barn. Amazing. It didn't even seem real to me at the yeah. time. <laughs> um, so I did that, had a lot of fun. Then I realized with retail comes community outreach. So that's mm -hmm. when it began for me of like working with volunteer organizations, Pottery Barn at the time, 
Williams Sonoma Inc. was one of the top donors for St. Jude. So doing all the mm-hmm. campaigns in store, I realized, oh, I'm really, I could get you to sign up for a credit card, but I could really get you to give money for a charitable organization. Yeah. And I gained traction there, which I never thought I would get attention for doing that. So our store was the top St. Jude, top breast cancer research foundation. And it was really easy for me to connect with the client and get money for these organizations. Cause for the first time it felt genuine. It felt like it's more than just you're giving me cash for furniture. Um, so I realized I could pull more out of retail. So I stayed in and <laughs> it kept fueling me because there's a lot of burnout. It's exhausting. You mentioned you've done it. Mm-hmm. It's so exhausting. Um, it so is. I- it's exhausting, but addicting. It is right. And then like, you know, you get to this upper echelon and like the money's good. You're making bonus, Mm -hmm. you get these extra checks. So like they get the hook line and sinker, right? There's always a reason to stay. Yeah. But then I was getting really burned out. South beach is not easy. Um, the not glamorous side. So one day I'd have like 50 cent shopping in my store. No joke for a celebrity. Mm -hmm. And then the next day I'd have like the drunk bachelorette party trying to sleep on the beds. So it's like, (laughs) I just can't anymore. So I realized Miami wasn't conducive to like a good quality life for us. Mm-hmm. So I started poaching uh, brands in Charleston where I currently reside, been mm-hmm. here 10 years. And I said, let's go somewhere quieter, made sense geographically to family for us. Um, my fiance's family is in Florida. My family's in New York. Charleston's like right in the middle. Yeah. So then I moved here. I ended up running the store in King Street, downtown Charleston. And waiting for the store now in my current town, which is right over the bridge in Mount Pleasant to open. And I ran Ann Taylor Loft. So that was, again, it aged with me. It was like a perfect transition. And so I was a lofty and I loved it. And it fit really good in my 20s. Kind of like a more mature, but still fun and feminine brand. And I traveled a lot um, quickly. They were sending me to stores to do new store openings, um, training. So I started pulling But going back to my real passion, I crushed it with charitable initiatives. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Ann Taylor Loft was, Ann Taylor in itself was competing with Pottery Burn for top St. Jude donations. Um, And I think, again, that kept me going for a couple more years. But just being able to develop teams and stores and then watching like the metrics lift when you Mm -hmm. realize that you build this team, you give them the tools and encouragement. But then also seeing like the fiscal benefit to that for a company was like insane. Like, how is this even, this is the secret that no one talks about. Um, so I do think I unlocked a little bit of a, a fun secret to a a very successful store, but long story short, six years ago, I tapped out. (laughs) Okay. Let's, let me ask you a little bit. I I know we, I definitely want to talk to you more about your whole experience in founding your current company and, and the construction industry, but the retail stuff is to me is so relevant because of everything you just explained. And I think it really suits you. I mean, obviously with your whole business, it it fueled your business fire that's in you and also your desires to work with people and then the whole charitable aspect of your passion. Um, One thing that I noticed in the retail that I worked in, I grew up in retail actually, because my dad worked for a retail company. And so I worked for that company too. And then I went and worked for other companies. I didn't get as far as you did along the career chain, but, um, but I did do it for a long time. And I I, I found it to be just invigorating and exciting and actually very female heavy, even in corporate for a lot of the jobs that I had. And it was so exciting to me to see all of these really strong women making, being such great leaders and 
like you mentioned, you know, the fiscal aspect of it. I mean, they were making a lot of money for the company oh, yeah. <laughs> um, through their skills and their sales skills and also their leadership skills. So I learned so much from them as well. And I was just curious, what was it like for you? Because you worked at some different stores than I worked at. Yeah, the female leadership was intense. Like as I just referenced two leaders, they were females. And mm-hmm. even at Pottery Barn, the current, our East Zone vice president, they were all women. Every single incredible yeah. leader that I looked up to in the upper echelon of these companies that would, we would just like, remember the days of getting a corporate visit. It was like prepping and like, ooh, Leanne's coming. Yeah. Like, you know, as a woman, yeah. it was always a woman coming to the store and we would roll the red carpet out we would make sure we had fresh flowers and, you know, we had all the things and it was a woman. And then I got into construction and I ran into a complete brick wall <laughs> it was oh, like, there that didn't happen. And so it, yeah, that's a great segue to going into my business because I feel like I came from a world where women were celebrated. Mm-hmm. Women were boosted. I was boosted as a young woman in the industry. There was like this endless opportunity for me. And I left like I broke my district manager's heart when I gave my notice because she was like grooming me to be her because she wanted to become a regional, you know, the latter. Right. And so I was a part of her succession planning. So Stephanie Mm -hmm. was like derailed when I gave my notice. Um, But I just, I, no, I did not. I underestimated (laughs) the shift I would experience. And Mm -hmm. that definitely was, um, it was intense, but no, I will always give retail serious accolades for being, a majorly female driven industry that supports powerhouse female executives. Truly. Yeah, totally. So, okay. Let's talk about how that transition happened then, because you said you're experiencing burnout. You moved back to Charleston, um, South Carolina, and you were working there for a bit, but what happened? How did you decide to transition into the construction industry? So my last holiday, I was in retail. I hit this break point. I really think it just came on like a break. I had never had a holiday with family. So my family's in New York state. I was living all over the place. So when I left upstate New York to go to Miami, that was kind of the beginning of distance holidays. And then Charleston for all these years, I could never get home. So I went home in September on my birthday because I'm a twin. So I would make a point to go home for her birthday, our birthday. And then I would go home in January and we would do like a delayed Christmas, like the week Mm -hmm. after New Year's because that was like, out of blackout period where there's, you know, blackout, you cannot as a store manager yeah. take off from basically Labor Day to January 1st is <laughs> like blacked out because mm-hmm. um, we had back to school as well for a lot of the brands I worked for. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I had this moment, I was also approaching turning 30 and I was very young for having a whole career. Not a lot of people can say like I had a retirement party. <laughs> I <laughs> um, I just started I made the decision. I was done. I said, I'm willing to take a financial cut, um, to find something that was more nine to five. Cause I didn't even know what that felt like to be Monday to Friday yeah. and go to happy hour with friends. Like I was missing a lot socially. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, thankfully I've been with Justin almost 11 years. So it wasn't like I was missing like the dating scene, but I was missing happy hour with my girlfriends and like going home on a weekend trip or going on a girl's trip somewhere, spending time with my man. That <laughs> was yeah. always So I started searching outside sales jobs because I realized very quickly I was typecasted as the retail girl. I think that happens to food and Bev. It happens with retail. You get pigeonholed in this spot where they're like, Ooh, she can't translate. Mm -hmm. Um, so good news. My grandfather used to always say I could sell ice to an Eskimo. 
that was the <laughs> way of how he used to say it. Um, I'm just very good at communicating. So I said, okay, I'm going to take that. And now instead of trying to ask for um, you to open a credit card or buy more of this or donate, it's selling myself, which was really hard for me. Um, but I put my big girl pants on and I convinced this company to hire me. That was a low voltage firm, which is currently what my business now does in outside sales. And I don't know what I said to make Mark hire me. I think there was probably an element. I was young, female, as he said, I was not hard on the eyes, which there's a quote, by the way, in my interview, I should have probably said at that point, no, right. um, but I needed an out. And I, I say that to make sure women understand, like, it's okay sometimes <laughs> to know that like, that was not right, but it did give me that entrance. I had to get out. I was desperate to get out of retail. Yeah. So I went to work for Mark and he was a 30 year old Charleston business doing what I do today. Um, so when I went to work for him, I knew nothing. <laughs> I knew computers needed cable to connect to the internet. I understood Wi-Fi. I'm young enough to understand technology. Mm-hmm. So I, st- it was like going back to college for me. So somehow I was just good enough to like fake it and get a couple sales in. So then I would pay attention. And I then started spending a lot of time in the field with our technicians. I said, I got to understand this cabling stuff. Like what, what is that? What do you call it? How does it terminate like connectors? Like, did you have any background in like engineering or science or any of that? Well, criminal justice is is law. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. Criminal justice for me was, I would say the legal aspect and that was more communications. I think you're right. That's that's not really STEM. No, nope. No STEM. I zero (laughs) STEM, which side note, I'll always give my PSA. I support STEM for all young women. Um, Now it wasn't offered to me. So I just never learned it. And so I think I've always known that I catch on things quick. I'm very street smart. College was not easy for me. I was, I will say I was the B student. It was not the easiest for me, but being in the field, I'm a very hands-on learner. So I would go. And of course the technicians thought it was so cool that the sales girl wanted to like come hang out. And I would, Hey, show me how to terminate the cable. And I was out there with them in the field mm-hmm. learning the copper colors of the order you have to put them into the connector and crimp it down and how the fluke tester would show them if there was a short in the line. And like, there's, it's really a simplistic trade. And I say that delicately because the, from a physical aspect, it's simplistic. There's only so many variables, so many tools. Um, well, only- let's, let's back up just for a second and talk about what it is because yeah, yes. Let me give my elevator. Yeah, let, let, like what, it, yeah. What is structure? Okay. So the easiest scenario is for me to say like, okay, Emily, you're going to open up, let's just say a medical practice, for example. So everyone has worked in an office where you open the one closet door and it looks like spaghetti and there's lights and you know, that's like your internet, right? Mm -hmm. So we do that a lot nicer and it looks real sharp. It looks like when you're watching like the good doctor and the, the fiance, she's like working in that cool IT room and the lights are on the cables are perfect. That's my closets. Um, (laughs) just to be clear, but basically you have your internet provider, like Comcast, AT&T brings a circuit to the building, right? So you're paying Mm -hmm. them to deliver your connection to the outside world. That's great. But how does that get to your computers? How does that get to your tablets? How does that get to your MRI machines? So then what we do is I come in I map out all the cable you need behind the walls to plug all those little ports on the wall that most people are like, I don't know, the computer plugs into that. The old telephone jacks, people recognize that everything behind the wall is the true structured cabling, which is a mm-hmm. digital name, um, that you need. So then we have some network devices on the head end, we call it. So we have like AT&T plugs into our box. 
and we're distributing it. That's all we're doing. It's a means of taking that signal, bringing it through a building. It could be a small one. Uh, it could be a big one. And that's from the network standpoint. I also do AV. I just finished, um, this is a cool project, the Charleston Battery Soccer Stadium, a pro soccer team here in Charleston. I just put in a massive outdoor sound system. And wow. all those speakers have structured cabling connecting them back to the amp. Um, so it's, that's all it is. It's everything that like, okay, fun way of saying it. If you licked your finger and touched the cable I run, it doesn't kill you, but <laughs> it's everything you need to work. It's like the craziest mm -hmm. thing. It's highly, highly necessary in a business standpoint. So every office, anyone listening to this can look around the room and see an element of what I offer in business technology, whether mm -hmm. it's the Wi-Fi, even coming out of your AT&T modem at your house, that's technically low voltage because it's throwing a signal. Mm -hmm. um, there's cable coming into your condo, your house. Mm -hmm. That cable is what I run. So it's everywhere. We just don't really think about it. Yeah. Um, and I could go down the deep end of all the other things I do, but um, all of the technology components that are required for any kind of business, cameras mm -hmm. for security. So what makes it a trade? So it's a trade because uh, what I believe is because the nature of the installation. I think mm -hmm. of a trade as a specialized industry where someone mm -hmm. has to learn a set of skills. They're offering a commodity that's necessary. Mm -hmm. um, and so to me, it's the trade of low voltage is very similar to electrical. The mm -hmm. difference is we don't have to be licensed the way an electrician has to be because you can't die by my cable unless you were to get tangled up and fall. Like, <laughs> but it can't kill you in terms of voltage. But we technically fall, like if you're in construction, anyone listening understands this, is we fall under the electrician's bucket. We're always like electrical and LV, low voltage. That's where all the tech sits. So we're usually, I work hand in hand with electricians. They're the ones that would run my conduit, put the boxes in the wall, and we're the ones that pull the cable into it. So we actually are usually on the electrical prints for a business opening. And do you guys actually, do you all actually do the moving of the walls and like opening up of the walls and closing yeah. Yeah, there's a lot the of days. construction aspect of it. Yeah, we're cutting, especially if you have like an existing structure. So like if you're coming in to upfit a space, let's mm -hmm. say if you're not building ground up, you move into a new office and, ooh, Sam, I really need to plug my printer over there and it's just sheetrock. But I know based on what's behind the walls and we know the types of structures and class A, B, C, and I pop a ceiling tile and I can look at the stud structure. We cut into the sheetrock, we'll put a box mm -hmm. in, we can pull cable. So we do both. We do new construction and existing. I prefer new, <laughs> but yes, more times than not, we're actually working with blank walls that are not prepared for low voltage and we just make it work. So there's, there's construction. It's a trade. There's so much tech involved also. Yeah. So it's really a pretty expansive field when you think about it, but you said it's simplistic in a way too, which is I know. <laughs> so interesting, but um, can you, so what made you, how did you get from that point though of going to get that job as a salesperson? And then now you, you founded and have been running your own very successful business. And you know, you're the only certified woman owned and led construction company in the trade in, in Charleston, South Carolina. So how is, how did you do that? Yeah. So next week is my four-year business anniversary, which is insane wow. to me. So anyone who knows the statistics working against female-owned businesses, three mm -hmm. years is a massive marker. So four, I'm like sitting here, like, how is, how, <laughs> how am I sitting here talking to you about my business turning four? Um, so, <laughs> so grateful for that. So I 
I do believe in some divine intervention, maybe because there are certain days I look back, I'm like, how did I even absorb the information to be able to do this? And so for me, the biggest turning point, which is really relevant to our conversation, your mission, my mission as women in this industry is after close to two years of working for this man and being very successful, because I learned quick. I just, I was excited by it. I realized, wow, everyone's using it. Like, this is Mm -hmm. so cool. And it just clicked. I can't, other than it clicked in my brain, I found something I liked. Um, I went and I went to talk to the owner of the company. I said, Hey, um, I need more money because I'm driving a lot of revenue, Mm -hmm. which is a scary conversation. But I knew I was really like my sales manager had quit. There was no, I was the only salesperson in this complete company driving revenue. And he said, quote, and I thank him for the statement. Yeah, you're not worth it yet. And um, that really hit me. And I said, all right. I remember going home. I ended the conversation politely, continued my day, went to see a client, probably sold something for Mark because that's <laughs> what I did. Again, I take my jobs very serious. So I wasn't going to screw him over. I went home and I looked at Justin, my sweet, sweet man. <laughs> I said, hey, um, I'm going to start my own low voltage company because I think I have enough information to figure out how to do this. And yeah, I'm just not going to work for him anymore. And I was, like I said, on the precipice of turning 30. So of course I got this like hair in my butt for lack of better words. Like I was just this gumption in me, like I'm turning 30, like do it. And Justin's like, all right, okay. My sweet supportive man. He was like, let's, let's do this. You can start a business. So that weekend I Googled how to start a business in South Carolina. I wrote articles of incorporation. I submitted it to the state within a week. I had the foundation of a business I didn't actually give my notice for about three months. So then I started strategically getting all of my contacts in place. I finished mm-hmm. selling my pipeline for him. So I didn't, I didn't stick it to him. I sold everything mm-hmm. I had started. I could have taken it. And mm-hmm. within the first week of starting my business, I landed a hotel. Wow. <laughs> I still look back I'm like how, um, and I, I flat out told this client that I was, I met them for coffee I said, Hey, can we push our meeting to next week? Cause I knew I was leaving and starting a business mm-hmm. legally. I did not speak to him until working for myself. I knew I was in this exact moment that I could take on this one by myself. And yeah. I'm so lucky the ownership of this hotel took the risk on me. Cause they knew I was starting out. They had seen what I had done. I had done work for a different property of theirs under mm-hmm. that other company, but because they were changing LLC for the hotel, it was a new business. And mm-hmm. so I had to be very careful because that's not how I roll. I mm-hmm. respect other people's companies. Um, but yeah, I did an embassy suites here in Mount Pleasant, which is pretty wild. And it was a Hilton, which was like, that's great. That's, and it's, it's amazing that they, you know, they put that trust in you as, as your very first project of your new business. Yeah. And, yeah. It, and it was a huge success, obviously, because yeah. you are well, years <laughs> the hotel opened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It all went smoothly. Probably well beyond that, but so how has it been in your community and in the whole trades community there in Charleston, South Carolina, as a woman founded, owned, and led company, have you received support? Um, have you received pushback? What's the climate been like for you? I would say it's like 60, 40, 60% support. I think Charleston's moved a long way as someone who grew up in a Northern area. This has been a learning curve for me in the last 10 years. I do feel the South still very much has a lot of tradition business, especially is still 
I'll say it delicately, like there's still that good old boy culture here. It's, it's deep roots. These families and names go back five, six generations. And so I come from an area that was, my grandparents were first generation. So Mm -hmm. I, I'm now living in an area that's so deeply rooted in American history. And of course, back in a time when men dominated business. So I don't think it's Charleston's fault. I think it's a cultural thing. It's um, just the nature, but I do believe that there's a lot of um, longstanding people here that are making a conscious effort to open up to, especially women in the industry. Um, I know we've talked about before through my work with NAWIC. I mean, mm-hmm. we're a very successful chapter of women in construction. And to be honest, more times than not, it's the companies that are very male-driven are paying for their employee, their female employees to join our chapter. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I am seeing a large good old boy paying for their female employees to empower them to be stronger women in construction. So it's this cool dichotomy of seeing that we're in this old timey male dominated town, but I do believe it's very supportive. Um, most of the time, I think the hardest part I have is on the construction sites dealing Mm -hmm. with the, we'll call them the journeymen out there. (laughs) Um, I think from an ownership and a high level standpoint, there's a lot of support. I have a lot of I mean, I'm certified woman-owned. So yes, there are men hiring me because I'm a woman-owned business. It, yeah. benefits. it benefits them, certainly in, in a government standpoint, there's a certain mm-hmm. percentage allocated to work with me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also just have a lot of male clients that just think it's really cool that I can get out there and roll with the dudes, um, mm-hmm. which is amazing. So the challenges come from being like boots in the ground, right? Uh-huh. And that's the hardest part. And, makes and But me- you're approaching that from a from a position of authority because you're coming in as the owner of your company, but at the same time, you're working with maybe um, people who don't care, right? Yeah. yeah. So- a lot of time. So my trade is really unique in the sense that low voltage is typically picked up by the owner, not the general contractor. Okay. So you can have, let's say you're building this medical practice, you hire ABC contracting. Well, you're going to hire me direct because your technology that comes after the cabling and the physical construction I have to make sure your Wi-Fi works for you, your phones are working. So I go beyond where they turn over the keys, they get the CO. I'm Mm -hmm. still there with you, making sure your technology kicks on and your business is functioning. So the GC sometimes is a little salty because I'm not a trade they can tell what to do. I'm Mm -hmm. certainly not the kind of woman they can treat like one of their subs. Um, And I've been subcontracted by some wonderful general contractors in Charleston. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes I am under their scope, but more times than not, I'm not. And so it can be really challenging to be a female. They know I own the business, but if they don't know, then they find out. And then it's just, it's muddy. They're not, they don't know what to do. I think it's just so uncommon <laughs> sometimes that they're, yeah. they're off. I throw them off. Let's just say that. <laughs> so do you, is this a trade that you recommend to women? Cause I mean, we, obviously we want women to be in all the trades, right? Like with yeah. women in construction, that's, that's part of, you know, our passion, both of our shared passion and promoting sure. that. So, but how about as this specific trade, is there anything that you would, any reason you would say it's more conducive to careers for women? I would say of the trades, it's probably one of the least conducive. I would say it's because you're, you're really in the trenches. So let's flip sides, right? I'll take my CEO hat off and go Mm -hmm. over to the um, Sam in the field. It's physically intensive, first off. Not saying a woman can't do it. I've been out there pulling cable with the boys. And let me tell you something, it's a lot. Um, and I have female, I've have female technicians that have worked for me. 
Um, and I, they're unbelievable because the things that you have to do in this trade, it's more, they're faced with working with some of the worst of them. Let's just say that. So you've got all the subcontracted contractors and there's a lot of not to knock the labor companies, but sometimes like there's a difference when you're on a job, which is just like staffed up to the max with just like random men that they're finding just to be bodies. And then we're so specialized that sometimes we get treated poorly because we tend to be high need. Like I need to make sure your electrical isn't touching my cable. Mm -hmm. And so our technicians have to be comfortable to approach the general contractor, go up to the the foreman for the electrical firm and say, Hey, like this doesn't work. You can't do that. Or you can't hang the ceiling grid yet. We're not done. So there's a lot of situations that are very intense that a lot of times, to be honest, the men that work for me have put me <laughs> in the forefront of handling the mm-hmm. conversations because they know I can, they're like, Sam can do it. So make her do it. Um, <laughs> but I would say it's not for the faint of heart. I'm not saying it's not I think any woman that wants to do it can do it, but I would say it's the environment is probably some of the most challenging Mm -hmm. um, for women in this industry, just because, you know, your boots on the ground in the trenches is a little bit different. I think let's talk about that. So say you are a woman in, in that wants to get into this field and you're, you know, you, you're going to be facing not just mansplaining and being overlooked, but you might be facing some hostility because you actually have to tell them that they're doing something wrong or ask them to change something or, or you may have to be demanding of something and they yeah. might be hostile toward it. How, how do you handle that? So more times than not, first off, I take the deep breath, right? Because getting aggressive is never the answer. And no matter how many times they will come at me that way. And I've had actual like one-sided altercations where men are like screaming at me. Um, I find it's best just like I drop into myself. I do a lot of yoga. So I kind of take that deep yoga breath and I'm like, okay, at the end of the day, this isn't going to be here at six o'clock when I'm home. Um, I think the biggest thing is leveling with them and saying, Hey, we are both here to build this for that client. So that's my number one go-to. It works every time, every time I remind them that we are on the same side. Yeah. We are here building this for them. They're paying us. So let's just take a moment and realize, and then I'll, I tend to bring up something outside of what we're doing, like outside of work, like, okay, like you and I are at the bar, we're having a beer, right? So I think when you can humanize construction Mm -hmm. again, because sometimes you're building something that's not human, right? Mm -hmm. We're all working to build something. Technology is not human, (laughs) despite AI. Like I'm here to say (laughs) it's not human. So when you can put the heart and the brain back in it, I watch it's so, and this goes back to my retail, right? I'm watching people calm down from being angry. I can't give, take their coupon that's expired because mm-hmm. I rehumanize it and remind them like, Hey, we are humans. I don't care that you're a 50 year old man and I'm a 34 year old female. Mm-hmm. It's never failed me. So I would say like, I teach my guys that get hot headed. I'm like, come on, we're just all here to build this. Um, so I think rehumanizing is big. So if you can learn how to do that, I have a high emotional control. So I try to teach people that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to teach, but I do believe people can be taught that just to learn how and to. That makes sense, especially coming, yeah, like you said, coming from your retail background, it makes sense why you thrive so much in that environment as well as this environment and in business in general, really, because of the communication skills and the yeah. emotional restraint. <laughs> emotional yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, what, so what is your, would you say is your plan then? Cause like, you know, you've already got the successful business going. You said you've reached four years. We want to know where, where do you see yourself in 10 years? Such a good question. Cause I ask myself that every <laughs> single day. <laughs> I, 
you know, I think the ultimate goal for me is to go bigger. So I had this like thought the other day, and this will be just between us and our friends listening is <laughs> having like, you know, my like kind of an umbrella company. I do see myself dipping into general construction. Mm-hmm. Um, I just recently am finishing up two projects for female founded yoga studios mm-hmm. um, and yoga. Uh, one's a yoga studio is another female founded business. And I'm realizing throughout the way I'm helping guide them, helping talk to the GC with them and just be their voice. So I think there's a massive opportunity for the female general contractor. I don't believe there is one in Charleston. Let me just say that. Don't tell anyone. I don't want anyone moving here doing it before I do, but I (laughs) believe there is a female owned Mm -hmm. general contracting company commercial in Charleston. So who knows, maybe in 10 years, I'll be up there with the big dogs of the Southeast and be running a big GC firm. But I do think for female founded businesses, um, I know I connect well, and I think it's just less intimidating when I come on site. I see this like breath of relief in the female owner Mm -hmm. when they see me, they're like, who is she? Hopefully it's important. (laughs) (laughs) It brings me a lot of joy to know I can like make it less scary because it's scary. Construction's dirty. It's intense. It's long. (laughs) Yeah. That's really cool. I love, I I love that as a goal for you. I could definitely see you in that position and I would not be, I will not be at all surprised in 10 years if I see that happening. Thank you. Um, And I'll be, all of my employees will be wearing all my female employees, their Juno Jones boots. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. Let's just talk about NAWIC for a quick second, because we're both um, on the boards of our local NAWIC board of directors and yours is Charleston, South Carolina chapter, and you've been very involved with yours. You're in the membership committee. And next year, do you want to talk about what you're going to be doing? Yeah. So I was just actually elected president-elect, which is so cool. So I get to, yeah, be on my board again for this upcoming year as president-elect with Joni, our current president, who we've just become super close and gained so much momentum that initially it seemed a little intimidating. I'm running a business. How can I be a president of a board in the future? But Um, Being able to see what we're doing in the community, especially with young women in STEM. So we're very active with Charleston County School District, Berkeley Mm -hmm. County School District, um, is getting in the schools and doing their STEM activities with them and being women in the room and seeing the young girls light up when we show up with our fun NAWIC t-shirts and swag. And we're there making those fun, you know, like the the popsicle stick building STEM activities and like these little like six-year-olds and to see this excitement of construction and I think the power in numbers, like I mentioned to you earlier, our chapter, we're up to 75, we're hoping to be 85 in two months. Women in Charleston coming into schools as a group. Can you imagine that? Like when I was that age at six, Mm -hmm. I didn't have five or six women in construction coming in to do activities with us. Like that didn't Mm -hmm. exist in the nineties. So I think it's pretty amazing. So the momentum's huge. So I will find time always will for NAWIC. As I've told you before, like I'm very exclusive to NAWIC for my um, board of director activity because I want to give it as much as I can because owning a business is like having a child in itself. Um, Mm -hmm. So NAWIC is like, it's the fun part. And I look so forward to our after hours events. We just had our June social, which was just fun. It was like 50 of us just having a beer and like talking about our weeks and what our plans are. And it also brings the femininity to construction for me. So that's my like, time to like drop off you know that crusty exterior I can build up and just be around a bunch of women it's fun yeah I love I love that as you know a lot of people think of construction as being crusty and dirty and definitely it can it is (laughs) but just because you are a woman in construction that doesn't mean that you can't be feminine right absolutely I may not Um, wear like the lipstick and earrings on the job site 
but <laughs> I definitely scurry home and I'll primp and freshen up. And I feel like we always all look so pretty at our events and it's just fun to see all of us like take that moment for ourselves with each other in a way that it, it kind of offsets the day-to-day. So it's just, just a good balance to have. <laughs> Where can our listeners find you, Sam, and get in touch? So Instagram, um, working on it. So don't judge. I'm not a marketing gal. <laughs> I think nowhere in my history did I just tell you that. Um, <laughs> but Prime Structured Cabling is my business. But you can also find me, my personal Instagram is, I made it public about a year ago because I, I have nothing to hide. And, you know, it's it's at sam.colner, K-O-L-N-E-R. You can find me there. I would love to connect. I'm the queen of giving out my cell phone number and my email. So if you DM me, like I'm very much an open book because if it means I can reach even one woman that's on the fence, um, I want to be accessible. And that was a big part of making my Instagram public. It's just being accessible. So LinkedIn, not so much. Please don't hit me up there. <laughs> Nothing against it, but in construction, I feel like Instagram in Charleston maybe is like kind of the stronger connector. So that's the best way for me. Okay, great. So you heard it here. Find her on Insta. Not yep. on LinkedIn. Well, Sam Holder, <laughs> Empowering Women in Industry Tradeswoman of the Year and founder of Prime Structured Cabling of Charleston, South Carolina, and so much more. Thank you so much for joining us today. This was so much fun. I, lo- I, I learned so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> you have been listening to the Hazard Girls podcast on Jacket Media, sponsored by Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company. That's junojonesshoes.com. And you can go there to learn about our steel toe boots and to join the Hazard Girls community. I'm your host, Emily Salaby. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.